Lord, tonight. God, I thank you that we can come here and worship you together and sing of all your praises, sing of all that you've done, all that you've overcome, and all of your power. God, I thank you just for allowing us in and being so open, God, waiting for open arms whenever we're ready to come back to you. So thankful for everything that you've done and everything that you will do. Be with Jared tonight as he comes up here and tells your word, tells us what we're all needing to hear. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, welcome to Young Adults. We're so excited you're here tonight. If it's your first time with us, we would love to connect with you. You can fill out that connection card and you can bring it over to Next Steps right after the service. Every Tuesday night, we go live on YouTube and Facebook. So if you ever miss a message, don't worry, we've got you. You can head over to YouTube today. We love that we get to gather together every Tuesday night. We hope that you make plans to be with us the rest of the semester. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome young adults. I'm excited that you are here. Welcome back. It's good to be back with everybody. It's good to be back in the room with you all. It's been a long season without having young adults on a Tuesday, so I'm excited that we're all back in the same room together. Well, tonight uh, we're kicking off young adults, and I wanted to talk about something. Logan and I sat down a couple weeks ago and said, what's the thing that we need to take and talk about that would be so useful to have throughout the rest of the semester, throughout the rest of the spring, we're calling it spring, I'm speaking it into existence, um, through the rest of the spring right now, um, and we talked about breaking spiritual strongholds. So that's what we're talking about tonight, breaking spiritual strongholds. We're going to be in two spots, that's uh, Psalm 42 and 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. And you're here and you're like, okay, breaking spiritual strongholds. Like, you walked in here, you're a young adult that's here on a Tuesday night, like you're probably uh, better than most. You're here before like school gets started, you're figuring some stuff out, like you're probably doing things pretty well. And you're like, okay, the spiritual stronghold sounds like the people that have like like the addictions, it sounds like the people that are um, th that have issues with drugs and alcohol and pornography, and it's like, man, I I've kind of got a handle on those. So, what is a spiritual stronghold? And while a spiritual stronghold can have some of those aspects to it, a spiritual stronghold can be so much more. So, I want to read you the definition of a stronghold. A stronghold, by what the Bible defines it as, is a stronghold is a prevailing. That means a winning. This is an attitude that's winning mental, emotional, and spiritual thought or attitude. I'll read it again. Stronghold is a prevailing mental, emotional, and spiritual thought or attitude. And I'll kind of explain it this way. Um, so I, I have uh, now four kids. I've had a kid since I've seen you all last, mostly. And um, I have four kids. They're six, four, two, and newborn. So we've got just the, the run of young kids. And um, on Sunday morning, I woke up to my, my, my two-year-old, um, he's not our youngest anymore, our two-year-old is in a crib because he gets out in the middle of the night, so we put him back in a crib um, so he couldn't get out. And now he's not waking up and just talking or crying like he used to do. He's waking up and he's giving it a blood-curdling scream as loud as he can, and he's yelling, Dad. 
like as many times as it takes for me to get in there and as much breath as he can keep in his lungs, he's screaming dad at the top of his lungs. And I'm not going to do it because I have a microphone on and it might cause most of you to go deaf. I mean, it is a blood curdling scream. It, it, the first time he did it, we ran in the room. We're like, what's wrong? He's like, out dad, out crib. And I'm like, you're not dying. Like there's not a snake in your crib. There's not like someone breaking in. You just want to get out, out dad. Okay, great. I'll come get you out. So Sunday morning, I wake up, and it's one of those where, like, Sunday morning you get to church, like, I've got some responsibilities, and I'm getting ready, and, and like, I'm, I'm, I sat back down, I was trying to read my Bible, trying to do a good thing, and I just hear from the other room, like, when you have four kids, half the name of the game is keeping the kids that are sleeping asleep, okay? You're just trying to, like, make sure, like, okay, if you get up, you go here, and you do this, because it's quiet, and it's far away from the other kids, and, and he wakes up, and it is, it is scream from moment one. So I bust into his room, and by the time I bust into his room and get to him, I've realized that I have overreacted both with the tone of my voice, the volume of my voice, the speed with which I did it, and my attitude. And it was humbling. Because here's a two-year-old that's excited to see me. And I've just busted in with anger, with frustration, at a two-year-old who's happy to see me. And what it started to unearth in me, and this is two days ago, was that I have some spiritual stronghold. And a lot of times what, what's crazy about a spiritual stronghold is like it, it, it has to be, it's rooted in something that's not just that. It's not just anger. It's not just frustration. It's not just lust. It's not just substance abuse. It's not just one minor thing. It can be so many little things, but it's all rooted in something else. It's rooted, in, and, and the, the causes for a spiritual stronghold can be so many different things. It can be the way that you were brought up. Maybe you were brought up a certain way, and now you're growing up, and you kind of are an adult, and you can kind of make your own choices, and now you're like, okay, the, the way that I was brought up is maybe a little different than the, most of the other people that I know, and it's different, it's hard, it's not quite the same. Maybe the way that you were brought up, and you think about that, there's pain and trauma attached to it. Maybe some difficult things happened, things that you did or saw or happened to you as a child that should have never happened to someone. And now you carry that with you, and you vow that it's never going to happen to someone in your orbit again. You're going you're gonna to respond in a way that I'm, not, I'm never going to be who my parents were. I'm never going to be who that person was that hurt me. You have pain. You have difficulty. You have trauma. You have personal history. You have family history. Maybe it's not trauma-related. Maybe it's just, man, my dad was one way, and I don't want to be like my dad, so I'm going to go completely opposite direction, and I'm going to live and operate in this way. But now that, that overreaction, that correction, that contrast, from where your parents were is now a stronghold. And let me give you an example. So not just anger, something happening. Sometimes for me, it's not just that. Sometimes for me, like the root thing is I want people to like me and love me. It's selfishness. It's pride. And that can come up in a hundred, a thousand different ways. It can come up in telling a joke that I know will kind of knock you down so I look a little bit better. It'll come up in, in, in me just getting angry that you got the, the, the good thing and I didn't. Now I look worse than you. It can come up a hundred different ways, but because of that, I'll take something that you said and it comes into my orbit. And because of my stronghold, that stronghold holds on to that word and it says, no, this is really what they meant. And it ends up limiting what we know God has for us, what we know God wants for us, because that stronghold is so tight. 
Maybe it's your current circumstances. Maybe it's where you're at right now, the roommate that you're, that you're with, the situation that you're with. Maybe stage of life is not what you would want right now. Maybe you're at an age where you're like, I was hoping to have marriage, this many kids, this much on my tax return. Like, this is what I wanted my life to look like, and I'm not halfway there, and I'm just frustrated. And that has turned into a spiritual stronghold. Maybe it's the future. Maybe it's like thinking about what's next brings you fear, brings you anxiety. Maybe the thought of like, I can't control what happens in the future is your spiritual stronghold. The reality is spiritual strongholds can be so many different things, but our emotions and our thoughts are so tied to these spiritual strongholds, we can't start thinking about it only as a physical, only as a, as a mental. There are emotional and spiritual aspects of this intertwined with spiritual strongholds. But what's the root? And maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I get a little angry sometimes, but I'm a quiet person and nobody knows it. I can be maybe a little selfish, but I don't really let it kind of find its way externally. So is it really that big of a deal that I can maybe have a little stronghold? I want you to see Ephesians 4, verse 27. In Ephesians 4, Paul's telling the, the church in Ephesus, he says, do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. And when I think of foothold, I think of one thing, um, the apex the, the, the pinnacle of my athletic career was seventh grade peewee football, okay? Things did not go well for me athletically. Um, that may be part of my, anyway. Um, so me and my brother uh, would play this game in our backyard. We called it kickoff. And we would kick the ball off to each other, and then we would we'd set up cones. We'd say, you can't go past the tree, can't go past the cone. And then we would do what two brothers do, and we would tackle each other. And my dad thought it was so awesome. He loved football. He said, you guys should sign up for football. You guys think you guys would do great. So we started playing football, and this was a ragtag group of kids. None of us were great athletes. I don't think anybody went on to play college ball, and no one's in the NFL, okay? And um, our coach kind of knew what he had, and he was like, okay, this is what I'm going to teach you guys to do. I'm going to teach you to run, because everybody can run. I'm going to teach you to block, because you can figure out how to throw a block. I'm going to teach you to tackle. So he taught everybody on our team those three things. And I played safety. I wasn't very good, but I was kind of the last line of defense in seventh grade football. There's not a lot of airtime. There's not a quarterback who's really slinging it out there. Uh, so I was just kind of the last man who was making tackles. But um, what he taught us to do when you'd make tackles is you would never go up and tackle somebody's shoulders. If you watch the NFL and you see Derrick Henry throwing people down, it's because they jump at his shoulders. They're trying to strip the ball from him. No, no, no. Coach Greg Edwards would have said, you're coming off, off the line. You're going to talk to me for a minute. What you do is you keep your leverage, you keep shoulders and knees square, you, you come in at their legs, you, you wrap them up, and you bring them down with your leverage on your shoulder, okay? If anybody wants to talk afterwards, we can. Um, but he taught us to do that. But what would end up happening, you've got a bunch of scrawny seventh graders, what would happen is you'd have this kid's leg, and I'd be down here just holding it, and he's not going anywhere, okay? He's just here. And then you've got another seventh grader who's holding the, holding the rock, and then, He's just like this, because I've got his legs. And you kind of have this one of these where he's trying to high step it out of there and he can't, and it's kind of a funny thing. But you know, the, the refs don't call it because they're 14 year olds who played, you know, the day before. Like, it, it just wasn't a perfect situation. But what would happen is you'd have me down there like this, and he taught us to yell something. And I don't know if this yell something was like to instill fear or just like, to, to pop the ball out and fumble, I don't know, but he told us to yell one thing. When you see someone wrapped up like that and they can't move and they haven't blown the whistle yet, you yell, free hit. 
three hit, and then everybody's head turned. Somebody, somebody's wrapped up, and their ball's not out yet. They're not down yet. So you just had some seventh grader who's like this trying to wiggle his way out, and you had guys just flying at him. I mean, spearing people because they are like, I get to hit somebody, and they can't move. Like, this is dummy practice. Like, this is so easy. So you'd have a guy hanging out here, and he'd hear free hit. I'm going down. I'm going down. I'm down. I'm down. Because our team would just swarm at you because we had a free hit. Why? Because we had a foothold. Here's the thing about a stronghold and a foothold. A stronghold might not quite be a foothold yet, but it will be one day. It might be just something really, really small. That emotional issue you have might not be a problem because you don't have that many people close into your orbit. You're not trying to lead anything right now. You're just finishing school. You're just working. When you bring people into your orbit and they're close to you, those strongholds are going to start to look like footholds. And you're going to be a free hit to the devil. It's going to be easy once that time comes. If we have emotional issues that we don't deal with and we're just walking around going, I I think I'm okay. But in reality, maybe spiritually, we're not taking steps of obedience towards Christ because our legs are wrapped up and we're not walking with him. We're just standing still because we are fine with there being a foothold. We have to learn to take care of our spiritual strongholds now so we can't be a free hit later. This generation looks at things like divorce. This generation looks at things like suicide. This generation looks at things like relationships being severed and says, man, I don't want that at all. I want my generation to be different. If our generation is called to be different, we're going to have to do something different. (coughs) So what do we do? How do we shake loose a spiritual stronghold? The world's going to tell you a couple different things. Um, There's a man named Tony Evans, and he talks through four things, and he says our emotions are like, Um, A smoke detector. When a smoke detector is going off, you don't just like, man, I just take the batteries out. No, you go up and you figure out like, why is the smoke detector going off? Like, what's happening? Like, if I hear it from the other room, I don't just go, man, that is really annoying. I'm just going to go close the door. Like, that's a danger. We can't get past our emotions by simply ignoring it. We can't get past our emotions by covering it up. We can't just end up going, okay, I'm just going to put something over it because it's going to, no, no, if there's a true issue, if there's smoke, there's fire. It, it won't get any better by giving in and going, the smoke alarm's going off, I got to panic. The smoke alarm's going off, I got I to go, well, no, you got you to gotta get your feet underneath you, have some logic and go take care of the problem. If I just want to give in to my emotions, <coughs> What I would have done on Sunday morning is give, what the Bible says, give full vent to my anger. Give full vent to my anger and then just go, you know what, I'm angry, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to yell at my kids. That's not going to make anything better. Sometimes culture is going to look at us and say, hey, everything that you need is inside of you. What you need to do is just, you'll find the answer in yourself. You won't find the answer by giving in. You won't find the answer by avoiding it or on the contrasting side by hyper-focusing towards it. 
if you just avoid it and just move, that fire is still going to happen. There's still going to be a problem that we have to handle. Or if you go, okay, I'm going to go hyper-focus and figure out, <coughs> I'm going to figure out like what the issue is. I'm going to get all focused in on it. There's not going to be anything better. Thank you, Logan. There's not going to be something that gets better just by going like, I'm going to handle this one issue. I call that spiritual whack-a-mole, right? I talked about like there's a root system. There, there's a problem that's, that's a soul issue. And if I end up going, okay, man, I get angry. I'm not going to get angry today. What happens is that I get something else. I get prideful. I get lustful. I get self-centered. But I didn't get angry. And I don't think we want to be people that have all these issues, but we focus in on one and go, no, that's the problem. I think with God, I think he wants us to be holistic, healthy, and good. So I have four things. I don't have four points. I have a pre-point and three points. So if you would look at 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. Paul's talking to the Corinthian people, and he tells them about walking against these strongholds. And he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Listen to that again. He's talking to a group of believers, a church in Corinth, and he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. My first point is strongholds are a spiritual battle. Strongholds are a spiritual battle. The world wants to tell you that this is not a big deal. Your emotional strongholds are not a big deal. If you get a little angry sometimes, not a big deal. If you don't know how to deal with loss, not a big deal. If you don't know what to do with these new emotions that you have in a relationship, not a big deal. It'll get figured out with time. But what Paul's arguing here is like these strongholds that happen in our lives are not just meant to be brushed underneath the rug and like it'll get figured out later. Paul's saying what we're arguing against here, what we're fighting against is a big spiritual problem. It's an issue. So we need to treat it as such. We need to treat it like it's a spiritual battle. It's not only the physical and addictive side, where I think sometimes we want to look at like the problems that we have and go, man, if you're just a little more disciplined, if you woke up a little earlier, if you went to the gym one more time a week, if you just kind of did some of the things that the world thinks we should do, if you went to one more AA meeting, then everything will start to get figured out, where some of those things are good things and they're not going to hurt you. But what Paul argues here is that what we need is one of those last words, we need divine power to destroy strongholds. And what, what's crazy to me is not that, like, we're managing strongholds. We're not just, like, working on them. We're not just, like, man, we can, we can have a little bit of success maybe when we're in our 40s. It's saying that because of the divine power that we have in Christ, we can destroy strongholds. The lie is that it's not a big deal. But I think what we need to understand is that that divine power can be true in your everyday situation everyday situation that man whatever it is that you walk through whatever it is that's difficult for you bring that divine power in invite God tell God God I get frustrated and I don't want to God I can deal with these emotions I don't even understand and I need your help to deal with them because I don't know how and that leads into the the next point tell God about your strongholds tell him 
Sometimes I think we have the attitude, I grew up in church. <coughs> I grew up in church and sometimes we have the attitude like, God is omniscient. He just knows everything. So why do I need to tell him? He's sovereign. Whatever I do, he's going to figure it out. No, God, God is, a, is a person. And we have the ability to, to know him and for him to know us. Yes, God knows what you're walking through, but he also, as our father, wants the humility from us to say, God, I'm trying to carry this and I do not know how. Sometimes I think God sees us walking around and he has a relationship with us. We have a relationship with him and we're carrying something that's heavy for us. We're starting to deal with a stronghold and God's standing right there having divine power, wanting to help his children. And we go, I'll figure it out. I was talking to Tom DeMers, our executive pastor, and he, he was talking about reading through this book, A Praying Life. And, and if you don't have it, we're actually selling it with part of our, um, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's such a good book. But one of the things that he said he picked up was just, it doesn't have to be anything special. It doesn't have to be anything wild, but audibly telling God, God, I'm angry right now. God, I am frustrated and I don't know why. And letting God deal with the fallout. Because God is big enough and strong enough to look at your problems and go, I can deal with that. I can handle that. But sometimes I think God has something for us, but we don't have the humility to go, God, I need your help. I think we had the humility initially for our salvation to go, God, I need your help to be saved, but we don't want to have the humility to say, God, I need your help to walk with you every day. I look at the story of Gideon in the Bible. Gideon was a guy who there was a war going on. He's a coward. God shows up as an angel of the Lord, and he's just watching him, just watching him. And then it says that he revealed, revealed himself. He didn't walk up. He didn't come up a hill. He didn't open a door. He just, God was there. Crazy. And he says that he meets him and he says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. That attitude was like, you warrior, you king, like you, you're just, you're one of David's interior guys. You're like a Navy SEAL. You're, and, and here's Gideon, who's a coward. And he has this interchange with God. He's like, God, if you really are who you say you are, why do I see all these difficult things happening? And he's like, kind of pushing back with God a little bit when it's like, are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to show God our frustrations? But he does that. God does these crazy things through him and with him, but he had this interchange with God, and I think we're afraid to have the interchange with God. Maybe because we're seen as a coward. Maybe because we have a moniker of the emotions that we wear. Maybe the mistakes that we've worn and we go, God would never want anything with me. But the reality is we have to look at God's word and say, who is it that you are saying that I am? In Gideon's case, he's saying, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. God doesn't look at you as the summation of your past mistakes. He looks at you as one of his sons or daughters that he has a purpose for. Tell God your strongholds. Just tell him. In Psalm 42, David is telling God his strongholds. Listen to the, some of the words he says. I think they're going to be on the screen. And this was, a, this was a hymn at some point. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Listen to this phrase and tell me David wasn't in the midst of a depression in verse 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. He's not eating. He only has tears. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go to the people and lead them in the procession of the house of God. He's remembering what God has done before. He's going to God and he's telling him, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm not okay. God, I don't know what's going on. But he lets it lead him to a place where he remembers what God has done. Well, that's our last point. What I want you to see next is it says do what God says. The third thing is we do what God says. David didn't let his situation determine his obedience. So many times, I, I see it all the time with people that are in church. Man, they're serving. They're doing good. And then something difficult happens. And what happens is that, that something difficult comes into your orbit. And that stronghold says, no, 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 no. Don't still be obedient to God because you had something hard happen. You can take a break. You don't need to go to your group. You don't need to serve. You don't need to be a witness where God has you. And we start to pull back. And we, what starts to happen, I always think this. You start to get tunnel vision on your problem. You start to have an issue and you're like, okay, I, got, I, gotta, I, I can't deal with this extra stuff. I can't serve a church. I can't help my friend. I, I've got this problem and I need to deal with it. But I think we miss so much of seeing what obedience does. Obedience is not like a one-for-one one game. It's not a game where it's like, if you serve, God will do this. I think it's like, if we start doing what God says, not just serving, but just following the rules, the, the book of the Bible, I think we'll start to see like, wow, there's some reasoning in living this way. There's a reason God wanted me to do this. It's best for us. It's helpful for us. The lie says, hey, just do what comes natural. Hey, you'll figure it out. Hey, you do you. you your truth. You, you live it. Hey, if that's, hey, I can't tell you what to do. I know for me, this is what I would do, but this is what, this is what you should do. And we tell people, hey, you, you live your truth. You do your, and that doesn't lead them to life. John 8, 32 talks about how you'll find truth and you'll find life, that the truth will lead you to life. Doing things God, God's way will bring us to life. God's power that divine power comes from following an unconventional wisdom. All throughout the Bible, you see people. I mean, the story of Gideon is one of them. In the story of Gideon, God's like, I'm going to make you a, a mighty warrior. So he tells him, all right, you're going to go fight these people. And Dave, uh, Gideon has all the people, all the warriors with him. And God looks at it and he literally says, if Gideon has the victory with this many warriors on his side, he will take the credit. So God looks at the group and says, tell them if anybody's scared, they can go home. So a number of the men go home. And then he has a couple more things that he says, if you're this, go home. If you do things this way, go home. And it gets down to Gideon has 300 men against thousands of men. And Gideon has to be standing there going, God, I, I, the math doesn't add up. Like each guy is going to have to kill like 45 people. We won't be able to do it. 
but God doesn't follow the conventional wisdom. His divine power is not our understanding. We live in the flesh, but we don't operate in the flesh. There's times I think that we even take the way, what the Bible asks us to do, and we take it and we do the productive things out of it, and we leave God out, and it kind of works, but we wonder where that extra power comes from. AA, I think, is one of those things. I think AA follows a lot of what the Bible has to say, Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it, it asks you to basically repent. It asks you to admit that there's a higher power. It asks you to have accountability. It asks you to consistently admit that you need help. So many of these things are biblical, but what it does is it takes the power of God and it says, hey, whatever higher power you want to believe in, and it removes it. And it works for some, for some amount of time. Some people it doesn't work, but what it doesn't have is that divine power. We need that divine power to destroy strongholds, to do what God says. Lastly, we remember God's victories. We remember God's victories. That's what David started getting to in Psalm 42. He talks about the times that he got to be with God's people and basically lead them in worship. Psalm 42, 11, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's having this argument within himself. Why are you in turmoil within me? If you're wondering if the inner monologue, the dialogue that you have with yourself is normal, it is written in God's word how David had struggles with his own mental health. And he says, he tells himself, hey, you're struggling, I have turmoil, but... Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When you get that tunnel vision because something has entered your orbit and it doesn't feel like you can move because that spiritual stronghold is so strong, one of the things that we can do that can help us the most is look back and see what God has already done for us. To read God's word and know his character, know what he does, know who he is, know how he's helped. To remember your friends, to remember how God has helped them, to remember your own salvation. To remember that, man, I, I was saved at a young age, but I was still destined for hell. Ultimately selfish, ultimately running away from God. But God, who's rich in mercy because of his, his great love with which he's loved us, made me alive together with him. It wasn't because I figured this thing out. It's because God found me in the ditch and made me alive together with him. It's all Jesus. So when I get to the spiritual stronghold, when I get to the tunnel vision, I have to look back and go, God, thank you for saving me from hell. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for, for providing. God, I, I've made it this far in life, and you have put breath in my lungs every single one of those days. You have given me food. You have given me shelter. You have given me people to uplift me. You've given me so much. Here's the tough thing. Here's when the rubber hits the road. You start to get that attitude, and you're that person who's like, listen, you don't know what I'm walking through right now. You don't know what the stronghold is. You don't know what the trauma is. You don't know what the pain is. You don't know what the past is. So what you're arguing, you, you deal with anger and frustration. You don't even know. And I'm sure if we sat at a table and you told me what you've walked through, I would go, man, I'm so sorry. No one should ever have to walk through 
that. But the Bible is so transformative that if you're found in Christ, anyone who's found in Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone away and the new has come. And that's one of the reasons that we meet together is so that we can tell the goodness of God so that you can know not just your friend, not just your aunt who's really good at church, not just your mom and dad, not just your friends, so you can know that God loves you, he is for you, he wants to pick you up out of the ditch and make you alive together with him. And if you've never done that before, the Bible just says we have to believe that Jesus our Lord, that means that he is the one who's in charge. He's in the driver's seat. And what makes that important is that there's a moment of humility of saying, God, I'm trying to hold on to this and I need you. Saying, God, I can't do it by myself. I need you. And that's the beginning of the Christian walk. That's the middle of the Christian walk. That's the end of the Christian walk. Every day, every moment, every minute. God, it's you. It's not me. Paul said, if there's anything good in me, it's Christ. That invitation's open to you. We're going to have people down here in just a minute. That you can make that decision in your seat. But in Romans 10, it talks about we confess with our mouths. We believe in our heart, but we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, he's the person who's the most important. He's my spiritual father. He's the, he's the stronghold destroyer. I need him. There's something to just telling someone. And I would challenge you, when we have people down here in just a minute, just come tell someone, I made Jesus Lord today. Come tell someone at Next Steps. Grab a connection card. I made Jesus Lord today. And that's what this group is for. Encouraging each other. Because when you get those blinders on, when you get tunnel vision, it's easy to not see. And I need friends to help me remember. Hey, remember when God helped you through this? Isn't it crazy that God helped me through this? Isn't it wild that God provided in this way? And we need each other to remind each other of that. One of my favorite things in the Bible, I'm, re I'm, I'm reading from the beginning of the Bible um, this year, and I just came across Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver. If your name's Jacob, your name's just Jacob. But in the Bible, it means deceiver. And he was a deceiver. I mean, he was manipulative, and his mom kind of helped him and bred him into that. He steals his birthright with the help of his mom from his dad and his brother. And he's just a deceiver. He goes on the run. Like, his life is not pretty or good. He legit had some real strongholds in his life. But one of the things that I love is that God gives him a new name. He calls him Israel. And the people of Israel are born from him, and it's so cool. It's such a cool story. But one of the cool things about the Bible is that it flip-flops. And when you read narrative about the Old Testament, sometimes they don't really know. Why do they say the God of Israel, and why do they say the God of Jacob? It's because that God is the God of your strongholds. He owns them. He destroys them. He knows what the intricacies of them are. He doesn't just look at it and go, oh, I know how to fix your triggers. No, he knows how to destroy them. The things that you're walking through right now don't have to be the things that you walk through in 10 years. It's not the things that you have to take into marriage, a relationship, into friendships, into roommates, into anything. That they can be destroyed because of the power that's in the divine power of Christ. Maybe you're a deceiver. Maybe you have a moniker that has been given to you 
like Jacob had of that of a deceiver. Maybe you need to come tonight and just say, God, you're the God of who you're making me into, and you're the God of who I was. And you have all of me. You have everything right now. I'm going to pray, and I want you to come. God, we love you. God, we're thankful for how good you are. We're thankful for, God, you're the, you're the God of our, our best moments, and you're the God of our lowest moments. And God, there's not a stronghold that's in this room that you can't handle. And God, if somebody's here and they have never walked with you before, they've never given you that first, God, I, I need you, I pray that they would do it right now. It's as simple as that. If you're in the room and you'd say, I've never done that before, will you tell God right now, I need you? And I think there, I, I legit think there's something special. What Romans 10 says, that we believe in our hearts, you, you've done that, but you also confess with your mouth that the, the Christian life is not meant to be lived in secrecy or isolation. If that's you, will you just lift up your hand and look at me? God, I need you right now. I need you right now. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone away and the new has come. He wants you to live a life that is without emotional, spiritual, mental, physical strongholds. And I think tonight would be a great time to lay them down in front of Christ. Lay them down at the altar. Bring someone else in. Help them remind you. God, we love you. Thankful for you. Thankful for how good you are. God, I pray that some